so good to be here with you tonight. What a great time of worship. My job's so easy now. Man, that was so powerful. And I know you feel that when you're in the room in Mesa. And I know a lot of people who've been a part of our online campus even have been responding today and giving us the feedback. Like worship was so powerful. I was standing in my living room. I was crying in my living room. So wherever you're at, the great thing is that God's spirit can meet you there. Amen. He is all present and he knows where you're at and what you need. So he's going to give you what you need tonight, I believe. And I'm going to talk tonight about something that we're beginning as a church, and that's 20 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to talk about prayer and fasting. This is something that Christians do, but maybe you're a Christian and don't really understand these things. So I'm going to hopefully help you understand them a little bit better. And that's what I do when, whenever I preach, just as a pastor, I try to teach from the Word of God. And so what that means is like, I'm gonna use a lot of scripture during my messages. I don't just read like one Bible verse and then tell you stories for the next 30 minutes, you know, uh, but I want you to leave understanding scripture better than you came. I'm gonna encourage you tonight, I hope, with something. I hope something's gonna encourage you and you're gonna leave just feeling ready to tackle what's before you. And I'm gonna challenge you. Okay, and I think that challenge is a good thing because if we're not challenged, we can't grow. The word of God challenges us and you'll see that Jesus himself challenges us in scripture and we're challenged because God loves us and he doesn't want us to stay where we're at even though he loves us where we're at, he wants us to grow and become more like Jesus. So I'm gonna challenge you from a place of love tonight just to help you grow and to become to become better and become more of who God wants you to be. So I'm gonna talk about prayer and fasting. We're in a series called Best Sermon Ever, studying the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus teaches about prayer and fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. How convenient. So we're gonna to go to Matthew chapter six and you can turn there in your Bible if you wanna follow along. I'm excited to talk about this with you tonight. How many of you all remember what this is? How many of you guys know what these are, right? Like if you're under 30, you said, no, I don't know what those are. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, back in the day, we used to have these, and I grew up calling them rabbit ears or bunny ears, right? Or like a TV antenna if you're formal. Um, and, and, you know, back in the day, young ones, televisions had a physical dial on them. You had to turn to one of 12 channels, in order to watch whatever happened to be on TV. And you had to watch it when it came on. There was no such thing as DVR, amen? The good old days, right? And, and so what happened is in those days, shows were broadcast over the airwaves. And this wasn't Wi-Fi. This was before the internet even existed. And so, you know, what you had to do is you had to, to tune your television to get the best reception. Because, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't adjust the, the rabbit ears on your TV like this, you'd get, like, static and interference, and it was hard. So in every family, there was that one person who had the magic touch, right? Like you might have been that person because it's like half science, half magic, and you'd get up and, and you'd, you know, like, what's, let's see, like, you'd, you'd adjust it, you'd fine tune it, but then like someone would use the microwave and ruin it and you had to do it again, or there would be a thunderstorm and you had to do it again. But you're doing this trying to get the best possible reception, trying to tune in to your favorite show. And I think this is a great way for us to understand what prayer is about. I've heard people say that prayer is just talking to God. Now, that's one way to say it, but I don't think that's the best explanation. It's not just talking to God, because you could talk to a tree. 
And you probably get some things off your chest, but it might not necessarily do anything, right? But I think that these rabbit ears help us understand prayer in a better way. Here's what I think we should understand prayer as. Prayer tunes your heart to God. The way that those antenna help us get a clear reception of the television show we're trying to watch, prayer tunes our heart to God. And I think that's, that's exciting, especially when you think about what it means to tune. If you're a musician, you know what it means to tune. But here's the definition of the verb tune. To bring into harmony or to adjust for precise function, intensity, or effectiveness. So when you pray, man, if it's just talking to God, okay, that's, that's interesting. But if it's tuning your heart into harmony with God's heart, if it's adjusting your life for precise function, if it's increasing your passion for Jesus, Jesus, it's helping you to live more effectively, well, now prayer has got some clear benefits, doesn't it? And I think it's been too long that Christians have thought of prayer as something that I, I have to do this, you know, I should do this because I'm a Christian. I feel bad because I don't do this enough. And that is not how we should think of it, my friends. We should be thinking of it in terms of the all-powerful creator of the universe loves you and he takes delight in you and he cares about your thoughts and finds them interesting. He thinks your jokes are funny. He thinks you're incredibly good looking. He wants to bless you. He wants to lead you into the fullness of life and help you grow and he's devoted to you and you get to communicate Communicate with that God. That is prayer. So we don't have to, we get to. It's a privilege. So let's talk about how to pray. And Jesus starts with what not to do. Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Okay, let me talk about that. So the emphasis of this verse is not teaching us that our prayers have to be secretive. He was trying to address a problem that a lot of people had where they would do religious things not to please God but to impress people. And a couple verses before this, he uses the same kind of teaching about giving. And he says, when you give to the poor, don't go around blasting the trumpets and showing off trying to impress people. He says, you're going to get all your reward from that publicity stunt. And then, so it's not really about whether it's giving or prayer, trying to do it in secret, but it's doing the right thing for the right reasons. You can show off and try to impress people, but that doesn't impress God. When we pray, we're opening a channel of communication to our Father in heaven, and it's life-giving, and it's transforming. And so it's good for us. He says this in verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for you, your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Okay, so he's starting with a few what not-to-dos. 
Don't be like those religious guys. Back in this day, religious leaders and Pharisees, they would literally go to like the street corner in public at the synagogue or outside the temple in Jerusalem, and they'd get up in front of everybody like, <clears throat> can I have your attention, please? Oh, Lord, creator of the universe. And they would start these long, articulate, religious prayers. And you know everybody would have been standing by and listening to these prayers super impressed. Like, wow, this guy, he is an amazing prayer. Can you believe this guy? Like, I could never pray like that. And maybe you've heard Christians like that. Like, they pray, and it's so flowery. And King James, thou, O Lord. Like, and, and you hear that, and, and that's why some of you don't pray that much, because you heard someone pray like this, and it intimidated you. And you thought, well, I can't do that. And I'll be honest, like when I pray in front of our church, it makes me a little nervous. I try not to sound like an imbecile, but when I pray in private, I sound more like a toddler. And I'm very comfortable with that. And I think it's okay. Like I just pray more just raw, short, simple, honest prayers to God. Like, Lord, help me. I need you. God, thank you. You're great. God, I don't want to. Right? right, like I'll pray things like, and it's just simple. I'm not trying to impress anyone. And God hears that. And he teaches us in this passage, you don't have to babble on and on and on and on and on trying to get God's attention. It's not how long you pray or how loud you pray, but rather who you're praying to. And in a lot of false religions and pagan religions and idol worship, you'll see people will just kind of babble and they'll just rattle off. Da 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 da. Home, home, home. Like, if I keep doing this, eventually something will happen, but it doesn't because they're praying to false gods and idols. You go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, and that's what happened. The prophet Elijah was in a duel with the prophets of Baal, a false god, and they're like taunting each other, and it was a total showdown. And the prophets of Baal, they cried out to, to their god, Baal, from morning until noon, no answer. And then they got louder. And then they started doing all these extreme things like cutting themselves, trying to get their false god's attention. You thought cutting was a modern problem? It goes all the way back into ancient times. Nothing happened. Then Elijah calls out to the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he responds in a moment. So you don't got to get loud. You don't have to pray for hours to get God's attention. He wants to communicate with you. It's not about quantity, but quality. Understand that. So Jesus cares about us praying with a sincere heart for the right reasons. And then he starts to teach us how to do it. He says in verse 9, pray like this. And he's about to launch into what some people call the Lord's Prayer. But it's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's your prayer. And it's an instructional tool that teaches us how to pray. So you can pray this word for word. I encourage you to do it. It's great. But it also teaches you how to pray. And once you learn that framework, well, you can go wherever you need to go. Here's what he teaches us. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. What does that mean? I'm going to give you like the Pastor Ryan translation. Here's what it means. Our God is approachable and awesome. Yeah, that's, good. that's what I take away from this, all right? Like our God's so powerful, he can speak stars and planets into existence. 
He is the one true God of all. He cares about your every need and he loves you the way an affectionate father would love you. And maybe some of you didn't have a loving father, but you need to know that God is the loving father that everyone wishes they had. He is faithful to you. He is steadfast. He provides for your needs. He loves you even when you mess up. He celebrates when you grow and he delights in you. And the way that you could go right to a loving father, if you have a need, some of you know what I'm talking about. You go right to dad. Daddy, can I have your credit card? You can go right to your father in heaven. He's approachable. God, I have a need. I need you. And even though he's approachable, don't lose sight of the fact that he's also awesome. So awesome that his name should be kept holy. See, the, I'm going to get real now. I'm going to challenge us a little bit here in this part, okay? The reason some of you don't pray that much is because you either think God doesn't care about your needs or that he can't do anything about your needs. But he cares like a father. And he is all powerful, so powerful that his name is holy. This is who God is, and we're supposed to learn to think this way. He says in verse 10, pray like this. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so the translation that I would take away from this is we're supposed to pray, God, we want what you want. Lord, I'm praying, I want whatever you want. This is like when I ask my wife, Amy, what she wants for dinner. Whatever you want. Well, do you have any preferences? <laughs> she said, whatever you want. And that's actually how we should pray. Like, God, God, I have some preferences, but whatever you want. May your will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. Uh, real talk. Some of us don't get our prayers answered because we only pray for what we want. And we never stop to pray for what God wants. We never think, well, God, what do you want? The truth of the matter is if you're praying for God's will to be done, you'll never be disappointed. Because no matter what happens, you know, God's plan is perfect and his ways are flawless. So I'm praying, God, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not praying, trying to get God into alignment with our wishes. We're trying to get ourselves into alignment with his wishes. Like, God, I'm not trying to move you. I'm trying to move me. You're not the one that needs to change, God. I'm the one that needs to change. May your will be done. And then here's verse 11. He says, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. So I read this and I'm like, yeah, I like bread. <laughs> but, okay, let's be honest. If you read this, you think, well, Jesus, you stopped a little short there. Like I got a mortgage payment too. And, you know, I got other things I need. I got medical bills and I got a car payment. I got to think about retirement. I got kids going to college, Lord. I need a lot more than bread Keep going. And we struggle to understand this. And I would say it's probably because, to some extent, we're all rich. By world historical standards, right? You're like, I'm not rich. Yes, by historical standards, by global standards, we're all rich. Even the poorest among us can go to the food pantry and get a box of groceries for free. And so we struggle to understand this 
prayer, but there are a lot of people in this world who have nothing. They can't even get bread to eat, let alone a roof over their heads. And when you're poor, you know how desperate you can become. Even to just get something to eat, you you get to the point where you'll do anything to get something to eat. Like you'll break the law, you'll do whatever you gotta do just to get something to satisfy your hunger. And this can be dangerous. I think about how in pre-World War II Germany, the Nazi party was elected by honestly pretty regular folks into power. They were elected into power and their main campaign slogan in German was Arbeit und Brut. I practiced that with Google Translate. And it means work and bread. They were saying, if you vote for us, we'll give you a job and we'll give you food to eat, we'll give you bread. And a lot of people voted the Nazis into power with the promise of an income and bread. It's easy for us to think, well, man, if I get the right job, that'll let me provide for my family. Or some of us think if I get the right politician elected into office, well, then they'll take care of me and my family. But we're supposed to know that it's God, our Father in heaven, who provides for every single one of our needs. And let me be really honest right now. Some Christians don't understand this, and that's why they never give financially to God. They're never able to begin tithing or being generous with their finances because they don't understand God is the source of provision. If you think you're your own source of provision, those are the people that say, well, I can't afford to give to God because then I won't have enough. But when you know that even your daily bread comes from God, it's easy to trust him with everything. And just remember this, everything you need, God is the one who provides. That gives us peace. It gives us peace in our soul. And then he goes on to this, verse 12. We're supposed to pray, God, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Right? Look at this verse, verse 12. Saturated by forgiveness. And this is the kind of life you're supposed to live a life defined by forgiveness. My translation of this is, Lord, help me to live as a forgiven forgiver. I wanna live forgiven, don't you? You know, we have an enemy who wants to condemn us. He wants to remind you of your past and all your mistakes and make you feel bad about yourself. He wants to tell you you're not worthy of love, that no one could love you, that God could never accept you. You don't deserve another chance. That's the enemy's condemnation. But we're taught by Jesus to pray in a way that the Holy Spirit can remind us, I'm forgiven. I'm made right. My record has been wiped clean in the courtroom of heaven. I don't have to carry the guilt of my past any longer. God has shown me mercy. And then in the same moment, we turn around and extend that mercy to everyone who has offended us. Wow, okay, that first part, yes, I'm cool with that. Forgive me, Lord. What, I gotta forgive other people too? That's hard. But you gotta realize how important this is. In the same chapter, Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. So I want you to understand this, that we have got to forgive. Trying to pray effective prayers with unforgiveness in your heart is like trying to start a fire underwater. It's a non-starter. You might as well just save your breath. When you won't forgive others the way that God has forgiven you, why is he going to listen to your prayers? And there's multiple places in Scripture I could back that up with. 
It goes on and says this in verse 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So talking about sin and temptation here, you think about temptation. Everyone struggles with temptation at times. There's things that you want to do. You know you shouldn't do it. <laughs> like things you know you should do, but you're tempted not to do it. And God's teaching us right now, like, man, the Lord is going to help you to resist temptation if you ask for his help. We know that sin can be tempting. That's just real. Sin can be tempting. And there is an enemy who wants to destroy you. You could call him the evil one. You could call him the devil, Satan, the accuser. He seeks to destroy the children of God, the saints. And he does it with lies and deception. That's his number one weapon. And so he'll deceive and he'll lie to you and he'll tell you, like, if you come and get this thing, it's shiny. It'll make you feel good. Oh, yeah, it'll, it'll relieve what you're struggling with. You'll feel better. He tries to deceive us into that, that sin. And it's tempting, but he knows if he can get us to, to pursue sin, sin leads us further away from God. And it results in our own pain and heartache and suffering. And so when God tells you not to sin, when you read in Scripture, don't do that. Don't do that. God's not trying to take away something from you that's fun. He's trying to save you from something that's painful. And we got to get his help in every way that we can. Like, Lord, help me not to yield to temptation, but rescue me from the evil. Here's my translation of this for you. My translation would be, God, save me from myself and the devil. Save me from myself and the devil. Man, the enemy is conniving and he is relentless. He doesn't have to sleep at night. He's got one goal. Take as many of you to hell with him as he can. But we've got to remember who our helper is. God is our rescuer, our redeemer. He fights for us. Yes, there is an enemy that wants to destroy you, but fortunately for us, our God is a mighty warrior and he's never lost a battle. He's your tower of strong refuge. You know where your help comes from, right? My help comes from the Lord. So I don't have to fear evil. And if you realize this, if you remember this more often, you wouldn't struggle with fear as much. If you, re if you remembered who your helper was, who your defender was, well, you wouldn't be as nervous about the things that are going on in the world because you would know the enemy can do his thing, but God is going to keep doing his thing. So let me give you some prayer tips. These are not pro tips. These are prayer tips. Pro prayer tips. Here we go. Prayer tips. Number one, let the Holy Spirit lead your prayers. Romans 8.26 says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Spirit prays with, uh, for us with groanings we cannot ex um, that cannot be expressed in words. Okay, so sometimes you want to pray, but you don't know what to pray for. God tells us the Holy Spirit will help you in this process. And sometimes he'll bring someone to your mind. Like maybe you're driving down the road and you'll just think of a friend, maybe a friend from church or from work. You'll think of a family member. It could be that that's not a coincidence, but that the Holy Spirit is bringing this person to your attention because God wants you to pray for that person. God could bring your church to your attention, your city, a pastor, a government leader, an issue that you've been concerned about. When it comes to your attention, don't just assume it's a coincidence or something you ate last night. It could be that the spirit of God within you is communicating with your spirit and that manifests as a thought in your mind, I need to pray for this guy right now. I mean, I don't have to do it for five hours, but I'm gonna do it. 
Let the Holy Spirit lead this process too. Pray with faith. Pray with faith. And I know that seems like a, kind of like a duh. But let me show you this. Mark 11, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. So what's Jesus teaching us here in Mark 11? That we should pray with faith. Pray for anything and believe. Believe, that means trust. It means faith. Have faith that you've received it. Pray with faith. Now let me talk about this. Some people, there have been groups who take verses like this and they abuse them and have twisted them into what has been called a prosperity gospel or maybe you've heard the phrase, name it, claim it. Like all you gotta do is ask for it and believe that you've received it and you've got it. Right, like I, God, I receive my Mercedes Benz in Jesus' name. Right? And I don't really think that's what Jesus meant. And so because we don't want to abuse this verse, sometimes we pull back from it, but we go too far the other way and we end up praying faithless prayers. Like, oh, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask God for anything because, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up and be disappointed. But we're supposed to pray with faith that God is able. He is able and all-powerful and he loves to give his children good gifts. So when you ask God for something, you should believe and be ready to receive it. Here's the next thing. Pray with more power. Pray with more power. James 5.16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The key thing that I want to focus in on here is that it's the prayer of a righteous person that has great power. What's the alternative to being a righteous person? It's being a sinful person. So what is this saying? It's not saying you have to be perfect to have God respond to your prayers. If that was the case, we might as well just save, save our breath because none of us are perfect, right? We all sin. We all make mistakes. Even though we're Christians and we've accepted Jesus, man, like it's a work in progress. Okay, so it's not saying we have to be perfect, but what is this warning us against and encouraging us towards? It's saying that if you live an ongoing, continuous, sinful lifestyle as a Christian who knows the truth, that's going to impede your prayers. If the Holy Spirit convicts you and the word of God shows you that what you're doing is wrong and you continue to do it anyway, that's not the behavior of a righteous person. That's sinful behavior. And that can interfere with your prayers. And so, man, I'm trying to encourage you tonight. If you're one of those people that thinks like, I can sin and I know it's wrong, but I'm gonna keep doing it anyway because, well, I don't believe those parts of the Bible. Or God, doesn't, God knows that, like, that I have a unique circumstance, right? That's not right. You need to repent of sin if you have it in your life. Be right with God and know that it's not being perfect that makes us righteous because that's not the way it works. It's the righteousness of Christ which has been imputed to us through faith in him. That changes our standing in God. So on one hand, we are righteous. We are made right in God's sight. We are all righteous before God because of our faith in Jesus. We're tracking with that, right? On the other hand, the word of God is encouraging us to live upright, righteous lives. And the truth is, when you live righteously, your prayers become more powerful. 
So you want to get your prayers answered? Get that righteous grandma on the phone and have her start praying for you. In Jesus' name. Okay, here's the next thing. Four, don't forget to listen. All the wives said amen. <laughs> Jeremiah 33, verse 3. God says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That sounds pretty good. Yes. Doesn't that sound awesome? I want God to tell me great and hidden things that I have not known. That's amazing. The problem is sometimes I get so busy talking and telling God all the things I think and want that I forget to stop and be still and listen. I don't know if I'm the only one. Some of you like to talk as well. And, and I'll start doing that to God. Okay, good talk, God. See you tomorrow. And I wonder if sometimes he's like, hey, Ryan, I had some things I wanted to tell you if you would have let me get a word in. Wow. You know what I've come to realize is that the more you respect someone, the more you tend to listen to them. Yeah. Like I've sat down with mentors and people that were gonna coach me, and, and what I have to do in that moment is fight the temptation to tell them what I think about everything. Because I already know what I think about everything. I need to learn how they think about things. Yeah. And so when I go to God in prayer, yes, he wants us to communicate and tell him what we need and thank him and talk to him. But let's also listen to him. Let's let him teach us great and hidden things that we would have never been able to know on our own. Prayer sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? Okay, and here's the next one. This is the last one of my prayer tips. Don't give up. Pray relentlessly with persistence. Keep going. Ask God. Pray to God and keep asking until he answers. In Luke 18, Jesus tells his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And he says there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. In other words, he was a terrible person. It says a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. So don't just pray one time, throw it out there, and then walk away like, well, well God didn't answer. Man, there, there's something here that's telling us, like, if you'll keep praying with persistence, God will respond to that. God has this way. He responds to persistence. He responds to our passion. And one thing I took away from this that I want to encourage us with is like there are a lot of people in our country who are hurting because of injustices. And we recognize that there is injustice. And we as Christians should do something about that. But us doing something about it is just the, the, the cherry on top compared to God doing something about it. And so if you're concerned about injustice, you need to know our God is a God of justice. And we should cry out to him with our concern over injustice. All right, so that's some stuff about prayer. Let me talk about fasting. If prayer tunes us into God, then fasting removes interference and strengthens the signal. 
So I'm asking our church to go into this next season, 20 days of prayer and fasting. And I don't do this lightly just because I'm bored and I wanted something to do for the church, right? This because I feel like in my heart, we are engaged in our nation in a spiritual warfare with an enemy who is sowing seeds of fear, confusion, division, anxiety, and doubt among people left and right. I know a lot of Christians feel spiritually dry. I know a lot of non-believers are more depressed and worried than ever. A business leader in, my, in our church here told me that in his company, three people have committed suicide from depression due to the isolation of this last season. This is a supernatural spiritual warfare we're engaged in. And this 20 days of prayer and fasting is us reacting. It's a counterattack against the enemy. All right, and so what I've asked our church to do is to pray. I'm going to send out a prayer guide throughout this, this next season. We sent one out this morning, and so if it's in your inbox, congratulations. If it's not, you got to subscribe, bro. Like, get on the website and subscribe or check your junk folder or something because you need this prayer guide. And we're going to guide you through that process. But then there's an element of fasting, and, and you could think of fasting as removing something and then replacing it with something else. So let me talk about what we're removing. I'm asking us to remove social media and the news and some element of food. Let me explain that. I'm asking us to remove social media. And for some of you, that's like not a big deal. You're like, I don't don't even barely use it anyway. Others of you, that's a really big deal. And I'll, I'll tell you what. Just today, we've started this fast. It hasn't even been 24 hours. And already, I have found myself wanting to tap on an icon to open an app to scroll through social media. I had to delete it off my phone. I'm having social media withdrawals, y'all. It's addicting. And it can be fun sometimes. It can be funny, entertaining, and you, you keep up with what's going on. But it can also be really hard on you. It can lead to unhealthy comparison. Like you'll think you're doing really good and, and you got a marriage that's great and then you see some couple friend of yours and they're on the beach in the Caribbean and then you're like, oh, my marriage isn't that great. You'll feel like you're a good mom and then your neighbors, like she's out there like, she's like making her kids organic homemade food from her own garden and you're like, oh, I'm not a good mom. You think you're content and you're happy, and then you see 5,000 advertisements during your lunch break that show you all the things you actually need to be happy that you didn't even know existed before. Not to mention you get into these angry arguments with people you don't even know about things that don't even really matter. Oh, and once in a while something that actually matters comes across your newsfeed. It's hard on you. And so when I ask you to fast social media, I'm not trying to take away something fun from you. I'm trying to to get you and encourage you to give your soul a break from something that takes a lot from you. It requires a lot of your time. It weighs on you. Just think think about this. Like a lot of you, you have like thousands of contacts on social media who you'll see posting really heavy stuff. Life struggles, sickness, death, divorce, losing jobs. Do you think you were designed by God to carry the burden for 5,000 of your friends? Like only God can handle that. That weighs on you. Do you think you were designed to process the angry rants of hundreds of people in one day? 
that wears on you. I'm asking you to give yourself a break from that. And also the news. For some of you, the news might be a bigger deal. Okay, like some of you I know go to bed at night watching the news. You scroll through articles, reading the news. Next thing you know, you're reading conspiracy theories about the Illuminati and groups. And blah, 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 blah. Pastor Ryan, check out this article. Watch this video. No, I'm not going to watch that video. And, that, and you're like reading and you're constantly taking this stuff in and no wonder you feel anxious. No wonder you feel fearful about the future. Because every time you turn around, the news is telling you another way you're going to die this week. <laughs> it's designed to scare you and get you coming back for more. So I'm asking you to take a break from that. And maybe you're like, but, but I won't know what's going on. Do you think that maybe God could handle the world for the next 20 days without you knowing everything that happens? I think he could. And then there's some element of food. Whenever you read about fasting in the Bible, it always involves food. And some, of people, you know, some people have health issues. They can't fast food. I'm asking you to try to do what you can, what God leads you to do. There are multiple ways you can do this. You could fast a meal of the day. You could fast a certain food group, a type of food, snacks, soda, dessert, bread, meat, a breakfast. Some people are fasting more than that, all food, solid foods. Whatever God leads you to fast, that's between you and God. That's what you should fast. And don't try to tell me I'm fasting vegetables. <laughs> no, that doesn't, that, I'm not buying it, okay? Here's the thing. Usually it's going to be some kind of sacrifice. And it's going to feel like, for some of you, social media will be a sacrifice or the news will feel like a sacrifice. But that's okay because the bigger sacrifice it is, the better results tend to be. That's just what I've kind of observed. Jesus fasted from some of the things that I'm talking about, food. But I would even say from people, the way I'm talking about with social media. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And that's a way of understanding, like, he would go out into nature by himself and leave beside all of his followers, friends, likes, trolls, haters. And he gets some alone time with God to recharge his soul. And if he needed that, don't you think maybe you do too? We need a break from that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Fasting is something the heroes of the faith did. Moses fasted before God gave him the Ten Commandments. Nehemiah fasted before he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel fasted before he was ever in a lion's den. Uh, Paul fasted before he went out on missionary journeys. Jesus fasted before he died on the cross to save the world from sin. So it can be an important way to be prepared for this next season. Fasting is something Jesus expected us to do. Matthew 6, verse 16, he says this, When you fast... Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, comb your hair, get your hair did, get your nails done, wash your face, put your makeup on, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Same type of concept. We're not doing this to show off and appear religious. We're not trying to impress people. Okay, we're trying to remove some things from our lives and refill that space 
with good things that come from God. Um, I want to encourage you in this. Don't, don't take these next 20 days and humble brag to everybody you know about fasting. Right? Like, some of you know what I'm talking about. You have that friend who tells you every time she's on a new diet. You go out to dinner with your friends. You're trying to get dessert. And then Karen's like, I'm not eating dessert. Like, okay, Karen, let me eat my dessert in peace. I'm sick of hearing about your new diet. Just do it already. Right? And then there's some Christians, like, whenever they fast, like, everyone they sit down with, like, oh, yeah, I just, I'm fasting right now. I'm fasting. I'm so tired. I'm, fa- I'm so hungry. I'm fasting. Well, God's saying, well, you just got your reward. Just do it in private. Just do it. Just do it. And God will reward you. And so I want you to notice this. The emphasis of this isn't just, hey, don't make this a publicity stunt, but also notice what Jesus said. I missed this before. He said, your father will reward you. So this tells me God will reward you for fasting. When I talked about prayer and fasting, I know some people might have said, oh, no thanks, I'm not interested in that whole fasting thing. But what if I said, God wants to reward you and bless you? That would be harder to pass up. You wouldn't just shrug that off. He wants to reward you. How does that work? How does God reward you when you fast? Let me explain it this way. Fasting creates extra space for God to fill in an extraordinary way. You're creating extra, it looks like this, okay? Your life can get so full of just survival, right? Like, like just going to work fills up your time and, and your, it takes all your energy, right? Like just keeping your kids from killing themselves. That's a lot of work. Like doing chores around the house, laundry and the dishes. And then like keeping up with your family and now your mom's calling you again. You got to call her back or else. Yeah. And then like you got you to gotta take off the trash and you got to go to church and you got to serve on your team because you love to serve because that's an important thing for all Christians to do. And you can... And then you get busy with like social media and you're always scrolling. You're like, oh, look at this meme. It's so funny. And, and you got to like brag to your friends and post it. And you got to watch news. You got to read news articles. Next thing you know, your life is just full. And then you got extracurricular activities on top of that. Taking the kids to ballerina and basketball. And so as a Christian, your life gets so full to overflowing. And you can still experience the good things of God. You want God's power. You want peace. You want him to give you wisdom. And he can give you those things. It's just a little harder. It's kind of messy, and it kind of has to, like, work its way down through the cracks. Slower. Because your life's so busy. Your life is busier than a lot of times you realize. And so when you fast, you're taking some of the clutter out of your life. You're saying like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to spend 30 minutes driving to and from lunch this week. I'm, I'm not going to spend the next three hours scrolling through social media and, and being jealous of people I don't even know, right? Like, I'm not going to spend the next, the next couple of nights watching the news tell me all the ways I'm going to die this week, right? I'm going to create some space in my life. I'm going to create some extra space that God can fill up in an extraordinary way. It's just, e- it's just easier for God to fill you up in this way. Like, I want more of God's power. I want more of his peace. So create some extra space. Take some things out so God can fill you up with some better things. That's why we do this, right? And man, sometimes our stomachs will be so full, but our souls will be empty. And that's why prayer and fasting is worth it. 
and it's powerful. It goes back to the early church days. Jesus talked about it. The early church did it. St. Basil, the great, he said this. What a great name, by the way. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love people to call you like St. John the Great? That's goals. He said this. Fasting gives birth to prophets and strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a good safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the valiant, and a gymnasium for, the, for athletes. Fasting repels temptation and anoints unto piety. It is the comrade of watchfulness and the artificer of chastity. In a war, it fights bravely. In peace, it teaches stillness. This goes back thousands of years. And then Augustine, another church father, he said, fasting cleanses the soul, raises the mind, subjects one's flesh to the spirit, renders the heart contrite and humble, scatters the clouds of concupiscence, which is sexual desire, quenches the fire of lust, and kindles the true light of chastity. This is something Christians have been doing for thousands of years because there is an actual benefit. There's a blessing to it. And so I'm asking you to join me in this. You could understand prayer and fasting simply as this. It's intentionally seeking God. I'm inviting you to join me in 20 days of intentionally seeking God. We're going into a new season. And fasting is often a a thing that Christians, believers, God's people do to prepare themselves spiritually for a new season. The first season of 2020, whew, that was something. But we're going into a new season now. I feel like a lot of Christians and even the church of Jesus Christ has been on defense, playing, playing defense, retreating. And I think this new season, the Lord is leading us to strike back, to rise up against the attacks and lies of the enemy. We're praying for God to give us power. We're praying for unity. We're praying for peace in our hearts. We're praying for faith to believe God's promises. God wants to do a new thing in you. And he will. And you realize, this is interesting, you realize like other religions fast. And so it's not so much about the practice as who you're pursuing. Are you pursuing, are you seeking God? In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So we're not praying and fasting to earn God's favor. He gives us his favor freely as a gift through faith in Jesus. We're doing this because, man, we're seeking God with all our heart. God, I'm tuning into you, Lord. I'm removing interference. I want to take some things out of my life to create space for you to fill me up in a new way. And I know some of you need this right now. Some of you have been struggling with fear, with anxiety about what is going to happen in your life. Some of you have said, I feel spiritually dry. I just feel worn out. Some of you don't know what's going to happen with your job, with your income, right? And you need this next season. God's saying, I want to fill you up. I want to prepare you and equip you. God says, I love you so much, and I'm going to raise you up and do something new in you. And I want to invite you to join me in this church, intentionally seeking God for this next season. You're ready to rise up against what the enemy has been doing, to stand up against that as the church of Jesus Christ and say, not on my watch, devil, right? I'm not going to just lay down and die. I'm not going to give in to the attacks of the enemy and believe your lies and deception. 
I'm not going to give in to the spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear, and it's not the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. Because, of course, the most important aspect of seeking God is seeking him for salvation. And we know that sin separates us from God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we cannot earn God's forgiveness by doing good things. And that's why the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life that we could never live. And then he died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, to pay a debt that we could never pay. And he didn't just die for us, but he also lived for us. And then he rose again to show us that everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Even if you die, he says, you will live. Anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And so the Bible tells us we can be saved by trusting him to save us, by believing Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And we need to be reminded of this, how simple it is to accept Jesus Christ, how easy it is to be saved because Jesus did the hard work. The question is, will you receive him? Will you trust him to save you? Whether you're at home right now, watching online, or you're in Mesa, if you're ready to accept Jesus and you're like, I need to be saved, I wanna be forgiven, I wanna know that I have eternal life, then pray this with me. Say, say, God, I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross so I could be forgiven. I believe that Jesus rose again so that I could have eternal life. And I wanna follow him from this day forward. I wanna live for Jesus. And I ask you, Lord, to lead me. I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God's so good. Come on, let's stand to our feet at this time. I'm so excited about what God's leading us into as a church. I hope that you've been encouraged tonight. And we're gonna kick this next 20 days of prayer and fasting off right now, all right? So let's start with prayer right now. We're gonna pray, we're gonna ask for God to move in our hearts. We're gonna take a couple minutes to respond with worship. So let's do that, come on church, tune your heart to God with me, let's pray. Lord, we need you, we love you. God, will you work in our hearts again? Will you move in our midst, Lord? Do a new thing in our church, God. We need your power, Lord. We need your peace in our hearts, God. Go before us and fight our battles, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your unfailing love. We know you have never let us down and you're not gonna start now. Lord, we know that you're gonna do new things in our church. We're gonna see lost family members saved. We're gonna see neighbors saved. We're gonna see the sick healed, God. We're gonna see people who are spiritual dry, refilled. We're going to see people filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with new faith, filled with love for people that they couldn't forgive before. God, we pray for revival in our midst like never before. God, do it in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen and amen.